Hello, hello, dear listener. Welcome to Formula E Byte. Lovely to have you along. This is, of course, episode number two. And as promised, we'll be going through what on earth Formula E actually is. Where did it come from? Where will it go? Is there anything else we need to know? <laughs> One thing's for sure, it has absolutely nothing to do with mid-90s electronic dance music, but it has everything to do with electric-powered vehicles. Without further ado, let's start right at the very beginning. Why did this championship come about? How was it conceived? Well, when a mummy car and a daddy car love each other... No, 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 we'll have none of that here, please. <laughs> I'm, I'm messing around, but the reasons for Formula E's conception are actually very serious. According to the World Health Organization, more people die every year from the effects of air pollution than from the effects of smoking. They estimate that 7 million people die every year from air pollution. The problem is particularly bad in cities and built-up urban areas, with traffic and travel responsible for much of this. Sounds pretty grim. But there are always solutions. And one way to significantly reduce this pollution would be the use of electric vehicles, as they, of course, do not produce harmful emissions whilst they are driving. Bonus points if you can charge these vehicles with electricity produced by renewable sources as well. Some of you are probably shouting the C word at me right now. And honestly, I don't blame you. But don't worry, I haven't forgotten the C word, or C words. I'm talking, of course, about climate change. Climate change. Very poor taste, Andre. Very poor taste. Reducing emissions and driving electric-powered vehicles can also help in the battle against climate change. And it is those things, reducing pollution and avoiding the worst effects of climate change, those are the things at the very core of Formula E. The championship hopes to show people what electric vehicles can do and what electric vehicles can be, and to do so in front of the world through some pretty amazing racing right through the streets of some iconic cities that we all know and love. Hopefully this can get people interested in owning an electric vehicle and in turn go some way towards reducing their emissions and lowering their own carbon footprint, which of course in turn helps the bigger picture. Another reason the championship exists is to provide a platform for vehicle manufacturers to test out and really get to grips with electric vehicle technology and hopefully be able to translate that into making and improving electric road cars. So when you pop out to, I don't know, do your food shop or go to the cinema or visit your family the other side of the country, you can do so in an electric car. This is one of the reasons you see manufacturers like Nissan, Audi, BMW, you know, that sell a lot of road cars, taking part in Formula E to help further their understanding of electric vehicle technology and ability to produce it especially as there are governments around the world now that are pushing for electric vehicle production. In the UK, for example, no new petrol or diesel cars can be sold after 2030. They have to be either completely electric or have an electric hybrid engine. 2030 is really not that far away. So from a manufacturer's point of view, if you are under pressure to produce more electric vehicles, 
you might as well take part in Formula E and get to race through the middle of Rome whilst you're doing it. Okay, that's the serious stuff done. We've talked about the serious stuff now, so we can move on to the racing. The serious stuff is important, of course, but I want to talk about cars driving fast now. I'm sure you want to hear about the cars driving fast, so let's just talk about the racing and the championship itself. The first Formula E season was the 2014 to 2015 season, so it's really not been around for long at all. A number of changes have been made to the series since then, but a few basic foundations remain the same. Firstly, Formula E is a single-seater racing series, and each team has two drivers representing them in each race, and the races are known as E-Prix. Each E-Prix named after the location that it takes place, for example, the Santiago E-Prix. There are two championships up for grabs during each season. The Drivers' Championship, which is won by the driver that scores the most points over the course of the season, and the Teams' Championship, won by the team that has the most points at the end of the season based on the combined score of both of the team's drivers. The drivers that finish a race in the top 10 are awarded points in the standard FIA point scoring system. So that's 25 points for the race winner, 18 for the runner-up, 15 points for third place, 12 for fourth, 10 for the fifth place driver, 8 for sixth, 6 for seventh, 4 points for eighth, 2 for ninth, and 1 for tenth place. There are also three additional points for the driver that qualified in pole position and the driver that finishes in the top 10 and has the fastest lap time during the race also receives an extra point for having the fastest lap. In Formula E, everything takes place on the same day. Two practice sessions, then qualifying and then the race, which is different to other racing series like Formula One, for example, where all that is spread across Friday, Saturday and Sunday. It's all in a day's work for Formula E teams. Doing things this way means we sometimes get two E-Pris in a weekend, like the Season 7 opening races in Diria. The first day you have your practices, qualifying and race, then come back the next day, practice, qualifying and then the race again. Okay, so now we know how the championship works. There are a couple of other important elements that come into play during the race, but we'll save those for a little later in this episode. Now, we'll look at the cars, the drivers, and the champions. In Formula E, each team has a very similar car, in terms of what makes up the car. So, the battery, chassis, and the bodywork are all identical. The teams don't get to design these things. They are made for them, and everyone has the same. Teams are able, however, to design what's known as the powertrain, which is easiest to think of as the engine or the motor of the car. Not all teams will choose to design their own powertrains though. So what you have is two types of team, manufacturer teams who do make their own powertrains and customer teams who choose to buy a powertrain made by one of the manufacturer teams. In Formula E, we have a lot of manufacturer teams, which is one of the really impressive things about the series. The tyres are also the same. All teams use the same all-weather tyres. There aren't different tyres to choose from based on track surface or temperature or weather conditions like you get in other racing series, where they might have the choice of harder or softer tyres. Formula E tyres are actually more similar to road tyres than racing tyres, which makes sense as the races tend to be in city street circuits. 
Each driver can use two full sets of tyres per race day, so the tyres will need to last through the practice sessions, qualifying and the race as well. So far in Formula E there have been two generations of car. The first generation car was used in the first four seasons, and that car, so the bodywork and chassis we're talking about really, was built by Spark Racing Technologies, and the battery was built by Williams. That is the same Williams we see in Formula 1. For the very first season, all cars actually used the same powertrain as well, and that powertrain was made by McLaren, and again, we know McLaren from Formula 1 and other racing series as well. After season 1 though, that's when teams started to make their own powertrains, or become customer teams. Is just the first season alone that the McLaren powertrains were used. The first generation cars had a maximum power of 200 kilowatts, which is about 268 brake horsepower, and had a top speed of 225 kilometers per hour, that's 140 miles per hour, and they could go 0 to 100 kilometers per hour in three seconds. Because of the battery capacity and the limited battery regeneration ability, the cars couldn't last the whole race, so drivers would have to pit about halfway through, get out of that car, get into a new car, and finish the rest of the race in that. So each driver would use two cars in a race, which just seems mental looking back on it. But the chaos of it, it was quite fun. In Generation 1, the race length as well was determined by the number of laps you'd need to complete, rather than having a more or less set time like it is now. The very first E-Prix took place in Beijing on the 14th of September 2014. There were around 75,000 spectators there in Olympic Park where the race took place, which is amazing uh, for the very first race of a brand new series. Good going Beijing, good going. And our very first E-Prix winner was the man who to this day is the driver with the second most E-Prix wins of all time, former Formula One driver Lucas Degrassi. That means Degrassi is the first driver in history to win an all-electric motorsport race. And Audi, the team he drives for, were the first team to do so. Alright then. I know you want to hear about the champions, so here you are. Season 1, the driver championship was won by Nelson Piquet Jr., son of Formula 1 world champion Nelson Piquet. And the team's championship was won by Renault Edams. In the second season... The driver's champion was Sebastian Buemi, and the team's champion was again Renault, making it two championships on the bounce for them. Season 3, driver's champion was Lucas Degrassi, making him the second Brazilian to win the title after Piquet Jr. And Renault completed a hat-trick of titles, winning the team's championship for the third year in a row. Season 4, the final season of the first-gen era, driver's champion was John Eric Verne, and for the first time, the team's championship was won by somebody other than Renault, with Audi taking home the title. The last E-Prix of the first-gen era was held in New York City on the Brooklyn Street Circuit, 15th of July 2018, going out in style in the Big Apple. On to Generation 2 then, which began with Formula E's fifth season and had a number of changes introduced. Most notably... We got a new car, made by Spark again, but this time around, the battery for the Generation 2 cars are made by McLaren, taking over from Williams. The second generation cars are longer in length and slightly narrower in width, but it is not the size that counts, it is, of course, what you can do with it. 
and you can do a lot more with these cars. They're faster now with a maximum power of 250 kilowatts or 335 brake horsepower and a maximum speed of 280 kilometers per hour or 174 miles per hour. These cars are capable of going from zero to 100 kilometers per hour in 2.8 seconds. Crucially, the battery capacity is vastly improved. So, sorry to say, no more car swapping in the middle of the race. Each driver has just the one car which has the capacity to complete the race. The cars are also able to regenerate battery power much better when the drivers are braking or slowing, so that helps as well. If you're not careful though, you can run out of battery. So you do have to think tactically about your speed and braking to avoid this. And if you do run out of battery, that's it for you, your race is done. There was also a fairly big change to the race format with the introduction of attack mode, which gives drivers an extra 35 kilowatts of power, allowing drivers to increase their speed. Each track has activation zones that the drivers have to drive through in order to activate attack mode, but there is a catch. These zones are off the racing line, so drivers will have to pull out wide to take a slower line through the corner to activate attack mode. The payoff is that extra power which can enable drivers to make up places and potentially end up in a better position than they were going into attack mode. Sometimes you'll see drivers who are leading the race use it to get even further ahead. That really can make them quite hard to catch. Teams only find out how long the attack mode boost will last and the number of times they're required to use attack mode during the race right before the race. So there's not much time to incorporate that into your race plan. Attack mode is part of the gamification of Formula E, added to give the series something else unique, made possible by the nature of the electric vehicles. And I think, probably in part, something aimed at a younger generation of race fans which the series hopes to captivate given that they'll be the ones growing up in an increasingly electric powered future. Attack mode is a bit like something out of a video game and for the record, I really enjoy it. The other feature of this gamification is fan boost. Now this is controversial to say the least. Some people hate fan boost, they despise it. And I can understand some of their issue with it. The way fan boost works is fans can vote for their favorite driver and the drivers with the most votes get an additional boost of power during the race that lasts for five seconds and is activated when the driver chooses, but has to be used in the second half of the race. Fan boost has always been part of Formula E, but from the start of the second generation, so season five, the number of drivers that receive fan boost was increased from three to five. I do understand people's frustration with this as really it, it does risk becoming more of a popularity contest rather than the drivers necessarily getting it on merit and as well it does mean that there are influences on the race other than the drivers and the team's skills and decision making although the drivers do have to decide when to use it. The voting opens six days before the race and closes 15 minutes into the race which is why you can only use it in the second half of the race. If you would like to vote for your favorite driver, you can do so through the official Formula E website. Personally, I'm not that opposed to fan boost. I can understand why Formula E wants fan boost as a feature. It encourages interaction and engagement with the series and with the teams, largely on social media. You'll have various hashtags in support of the drivers, 
and it does help bring people into the sport and build their engagement. I think ultimately, if more people are engaging with Formula E and on a more personal level as well, then I think really that's a good thing. The other big change to the format as well is that races are no longer determined by a number of laps that the drivers have to complete, but instead all races last 45 minutes plus one additional lap at the end of the 45 minutes. This makes the races quite short and sharp. Not too short, but not really, really long either. And again, I think that is the series trying to get itself into the 21st century audience. Nowadays, a lot of people don't want to sit through, you know, an hour and a half, two hours racing. You get 45 minutes plus one lap, you've got attack mode thrown in there, fan boost, you know, it, it all adds up, it's all pretty exciting. And all of this is happening on the same day with the practices and the qualifying. I think it's a format that really, really works. I think Formula E have done really well here. The second generation with its improved and, and tweaked format and the cars that are much better and look amazing, by the way, if you haven't seen one, get on the internet, look it up. It looks, I mean, a lot of people say it looks like a Batmobile or some sort of spaceship and they're, they're not entirely wrong, to be honest. It, they, they look great. But I think overall, the second generation is very exciting. And with generation three, just a few seasons away, the future of Formula E is looking very exciting indeed. Right, second generation champions then. At the time of recording, there has only been two seasons in the second generation, with the third one, season seven, starting in just a few days' time. So we've only got two drivers' championships and two teams' championships to cover here then. And not only was John Eric Verne the last drivers' champion of the first generation, but he was also the first driver's champion of the second generation as well, winning the title in season five with his team DS to Cheetah picking up the team's championship that season. The season six driver's championship was won by Verne's Formula E teammate and fellow former Red Bull driver Antonio Felix da Costa, with their team DS to Cheetah winning the team's championship again. So there we are. That was the Formula E bite explanation of what Formula E actually is. And as I mentioned, season seven is about to start. So in the next episode, we'll be taking a quick look at what actually happened in season six to give you a nice little refresher ahead of the new season. And then we'll look at what to expect from season seven. And both of those episodes are available at the exact same time as this one so you can listen to them as soon as you finish this one. And whilst you're there, make sure you are subscribed to Formula E Byte in whatever platform you're listening on so that you can get new episodes as soon as they come out. You can follow on Twitter as well, at Formula E Byte, and on Instagram too, at Formula E Byte as well. All right, then. Thank you very much, guys. I've been Andre and I will see you in the next one.